Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. This is episode 382. It's our Friday roundtable show, which we do 8.30 Pacific Standard Time, normally every Friday. And you can join us um, live for the present time on Facebook and watch us discuss the latest WordPress and internet web stories of the week. Um, I've got a great panel. Um, I think it's going to be a great show. Let's start off. Um, with Spencer. Spencer, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Hello, it's Spence from WPLaunchify.com. That's great. Yeah, that's that's not bad actually. uh, Hello, it's Martin. It's sick today. All right. Well, because he came on this. Martin and his man cold. Right, yeah. Right, and I've got my friend John. John Locke, would you like to introduce yourself? John Locke coming you from the mean streets of Vineyard, California. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got Sally. Sally, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, certainly, I'm Sally Getch. Uh, and I seem to um, inconveniently have migraines every time you uh, have another woman on the podcast. You have noticed that. I, 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 I don't know... I was going to say anything it, about it. It's a strange him. cosmic curse, I think. Every time I get a woman here, you know, <laughs> and then you say, I'm the token woman. Uh, rather, there we go. Uh, yes, it's a, it's a curse on the show for some reason. You can't have more than one female at a time. I'm not, I'm not going down that road. <laughs> I'm, not going, I'm not going there. Uh, um, so, um, before we start the main part of the show, I want to talk about one of my great sponsors, and that's WP Fusion. And what is WP Fusion? Well, if in your technology stack, obviously you should have WordPress, but it's 2019 and you need automotive marketing, don't you? The buzzword of the year, probably. And um, to achieve that, you need a CRM, but you need the two to be able to flawlessly communicate. Communication's good, isn't it, listeners and viewers? And how do you achieve that? You achieve that with WP Fusion. It puts your communication on steroids. Instead of being able to speak American English, you can be you can speak in British English, French, German, all sorts of languages with WP Fusion. Um, so go to WP Fusion, have a look how it will make your CRM flawlessly work with your WordPress website, especially if you've got e-commerce membership or e-learning platform, Um, go there, um, look at the packages, and with the coupon code WPTONIC, or uppercase, you get 25% of any of the packages. And that offer is exclusively offered to you listeners and viewers of the WPTONIC show. All right, let's get on to the main... The first story, and that's WordPress 5.2 beta release. Help test new blocks, block manager, and improve fatal error protection. Um, what did you think of this one, Sally? Uh, well, I think the uh, the block manager is a, a move in the right direction. And I believe we talked about that before when they were first discussing it, uh, that we are in a... Blocks um, um, fatal error protection uh, is, uh, is something that you know I am sadly still likely to need on occasion. <laughs> As having been known even yet to misplace the odd uh, um, and it, you know it's it's one of those things uh, releases where well we're not necessarily going to jump up and down. No, I think the. Uh, you know, the PHP version stuff is the uh, most enthusiastic, and I have not had time to figure out uh, what the Sodium Compat library is. Um, so I can't express any enthusiasm about it. All oh, right. Yeah, um, what did you think of it, Morton? I'm looking for the unmute button so I don't cough in your ears all the time. Uh, block Manager is uh, highly necessary. Uh, I think when 
before Gutenberg came out, a lot of us were saying this is going to be a huge problem simply because like, there is going to be a huge problem in that everyone is going to create blocks. There's going to be a block marketplace. Everyone's going to make blocks. And then you have that drop down that's just going to have an infinite list of blocks. And um, both users and the people who build sites for them need to be able to reduce that list down to something reasonable. Uh, you can imagine the situation where people install three different block cl- conglomerate plugins and all of a sudden they have like 800 blocks. Uh, so this is a necessary thing that should have been there from the start, but it's one of those things that um, if you didn't do extensive user testing before you released the product, you wouldn't see that it was necessary until afterwards. So it's not surprising that it's coming now. Uh, it's unfortunate that it's coming now. It should have come way sooner, but it's great that it is there. Um, my hope is that I haven't tested the developer end of this. My hope is there's a way for a developer to <coughs> go in and declare block support uh, so that a client can't go in and activate blocks they shouldn't be using in a site, for instance. I'm not sure if that's the case here. The uh, sites, uh, the site recovery thing is the thing that was, or the fatal error protection. It was in the, it was in 5.1, but it got pulled because of some technical issue. I forget what it was. Because there were fatal errors with a fatal error. <laughs> yeah, I, I forget. It was some sort of severe technical issue that uh, forced them to pull it, and it's back in now. Um, I applaud Felix Arns for actually making this work because the widescreen of death is the worst user experience, especially considering what's actually happening. Um, so um, that's great. And uh, yeah, moving on. Oh, that's great. What do you think, Spencer? Uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about the white screen of death thing because I think what's happening now with the hosting environment becoming less of traditional cPanels and so forth and dealing with a lot of different clients, what a pain in the took us to have to set up SFTP, FTP for every client. What I prefer to do these days is to use that plugin file manager, advanced file manager, even though it may be for some like a big security error, it's much easier to go to the dashboard. But the catch-all is that (laughs) if something breaks, you're out of business without access to SFTP. So if they can come up with a bulletproof way to protect the site from going AWOL, but yet still allow you to get to the file management through the dashboard in a plugin, that's going to make a lot of lives easier. Yeah, it's going to be great if they can do it. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, I want to clarify something. Uh, the I get, I'm looking at the comments. I guess the uh, LibSodium, LibSodium compatible cryptography API is for PHP 7.1 and below. So anything below 7.2. At least that's what this person is saying. What that means, I have no idea. So... <laughs> I don't know how to reply to that, John. But there we go. There's many things I don't know. Uh, I believe it means if you're on PHP 7.2 or above, it does not apply. So right. it's built, built in. in. To, yeah. right. uh, and in. For, right. for reference, WordPress, I think, now supports PHP 5. Point something and above. PHP 7.1 was out of, like, has already been deprecated. <laughs> So <laughs> we're like years behind on PHP. Five years. Yeah. Well, that that is Are why you, the, the, the biggest applause at, at WordCamp US was for the, we're finally going to raise the minimum PHP version. Yeah, it still rise. supports Flash. Well, what's wrong with that? There we go. All right. Um, on to the next one. You know, story. we should have a whole talk in, at this podcast at some point where we invite, you know, Felix and some other PHP heavy people to come talk about how insane it is that we are still clutching to ancient PHP versions and the historical reasons why and the reasons why this is an irresponsible way of behaving on the web, especially when you're 33.4%. Because that is a worthwhile conversation that never happens properly. And having that conversation in a podcast is probably a good idea. Well, I think it's just a balance, but the balance has gone still too far the other way, in my opinion. No, there's no balance. This is stupid. We need to have people who actually know what they're talking about on this podcast talking about it. Right. You like my hair today, by the way? It's very... 
It's very, it's very uh, punkish. There we I go. woke up like this. All right. God. If you wake up like that, you're not doing too bad. It's when you get to my age. God. All right. Uh, um, don't go there, Jonathan. Uh, um, on to the next story. <laughs> family tree. Family tree DNA offers to trade privacy to catch criminals. Uh, who to start off? Uh, let's start with Spencer. What did you think of this one? I want to know why you put this in here before we start uh, opining on it. Um, well, I was looking for the interesting stories and I thought it was interesting. So it's that simple, Sally. All right. All right. I, wanna, I like this story. I think it should be in here. Oh, I, 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 I don't dislike it, but I wondered if there was something specific that had uh, that had prompted. Uh, well, I can't, I can't keep talking about Facebook and their disgraceful content, con, contact, or, conduct. Yes, I can't keep this talking is, about this. Facebook, is a, right? this is a, what I forget what the the metaphor is, but like this is the thing like allows people to remove themselves from the gene pool. I forget what the name of that that mechanism is Award? where you give people it's a Darwinian mechanism whereby people essentially it's a human honeypot that allows people to remove themselves from let's say society if they're really foolish enough to believe that oh the reason you want my DNA is to help me find ancestors who might have been victims instead of the other way around which is that somehow or another Common sense and my like law background tell me probably this is going to be abused the other direction, and that there'll be a lot of people who get a knock on the door from a police department or the FBI of, uh, excuse me, sir, we found out what happened to your DNA in college, and uh, by the way, there's somebody here who's filing a report or something because that's the only logical conclusion. The fact that these companies have taken the DNA samples from people under one contractual thing and promise and now have given carte blanche in one degree or another to law enforcement is really a very sad thing because I believe there's a lot of reasons where, you know, research into DNA and things that people would be donating to that anonymously would be good for society. But if they allow this Gattaca-like result to happen for financial reasons or otherwise, I mean, my DNA is staying here as far as I can yeah, we don't want to go there. Uh, that's a bit too personal. Um, Sandy, what did you think of this? Uh, well, I, you know, my husband was recently watching a documentary where, where somebody basically sent samples to a bunch of these different companies and, like, every one of them reported something different um, in terms of their likely ancestry. And so on. And, 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 right. And, and so that uh, it kind of threw some doubt on even, you know, how accurate the information was or whether it was, you know, your DNA they were testing or any of these kinds of things, you know, on top of the uh, potential privacy issues and the, oh, well, you know, in, in addition to uh, sharing this with, uh, you know, law enforcement uh, to help them catch criminals, we decided that we're going to, you know, share it with all of the health insurance companies and, and uh you know, to decide whether they should cover you. And it, it it seems open to a lot of potential abuse. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't been in a rush to hand my information over. Uh, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, is it that different from the other kinds of ways that people are trading their privacy for things? Uh, without necessarily knowing, caring, or or thinking much about it. Uh, It's been been a year since Cambridge Analytica, and, uh, you know, Facebook is still here and uh, hasn't uh, done very much different. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from there, Sally. Before I put it over to Morton, um, but I think I see where you're coming from with with saying that, but I I think this this is on a totally different level. This is... This is like you know pumping in not noxine into your fuel tank, you know, and I think it's linked to what Walton said earlier on about ethics and the and the web. You know, th- this could be done could provide enormous benefits, but also it could be at the same breath, at the same moment, a total dystopian nightmare. You know, you can you can see both paths combined 
clearly. What do you reckon, Moulton? <clears throat> okay, so there's this crazy conspiracy theory that's been going on in the United States for decades, which is that the government collects DNA on everyone uh, through, and then how they do that varies, and it's either through vaccines or through like all sorts of other nonsense. You can, you can go online no, and I've find it. I've a bunch it. of conspiracy theories, and I missed that one. Yeah, I know this is like uh, I missed that was, one. I missed that one. Where did you get this that was from? heavily what? featured in X Files back in the nineteen nineties. Oh, the, like, oh, it was where, on television. That's why I missed. No, it. no, no. This is this is like an one of the OG conspiracy theories that the government has a DNA database, uh, and that and then what they do with that database varies is everything from you know finding criminals to uh you know creating new people to like it you know it's a conspiracy theory so it's completely insane <clears throat> but it's it's interesting because there is this um there is this deep-rooted fear especially in american society of the government getting hands on your dna um that has been there for a long time and these uh dna companies have then on the side, built a business that does the exact same thing, except they ask people to voluntarily just serve up their DNA um, for testing purposes without being entirely clear on what, that hap- what happens with that DNA afterwards. Um, and this, uh, what, like, for, for some background on this story, uh, I think in 2018, there were a couple of major news stories where the police or the FBI had gone to one of these DNA companies and gotten access to the gene data and then been able to <clears throat> go and say, okay, so we have DNA evidence from a cold case that's like 20 years old. So do you have any DNA that matches this in any way? And then they would find people who clearly were not the killers, um, but whose ancestors may have been the killers. And they would walk backwards in the family tree and then basically reverse engineer the DNA up into the right uh, path and then find the actual killer. So there were several major crime cases that were solved using this technique. When that happened, there was a huge debate. Every time it happened, there was a huge debate about how, uh, it, whether or not this is morally justifiable because there's no expectation from the user of these databases that their data would be shared with law enforcement for the particular purpose of not going after you as the person who submitted the DNA sample, but going after someone else in your family tree who, who did not submit that sample, right? <clears throat> and the courts in the United States decided that this is perfectly fine. Um, the DNA companies were most likely sued for this, I'm guessing. Um, and they now changed the policy to say, when you submit data, you can opt in or out of this. And then, of course, everyone opts out of it. And now you have this advertising thing saying, hey, you should opt in because this is beneficial to society. Um, and this brings up this very complex issue of when you, like, uh, what responsibility do you have towards society to do the right thing, even if you think that the right thing may result in consequences for other people than yourself who may choose not to partake in the same program? And it's a very, very complicated thing because um, it, we always talk about slippery slopes. This is a potential slippery slope in one direction or another. Like it could be that this actually causes more stringent legislation around how, like what law enforcement can do and everything. And the result of this might end up being that DNA, like over time, maybe that law enforcement cannot collect DNA unless people voluntarily supply it. Whereas on the other end, it could end up with all businesses start doing this. They'll be like, we have some random data we will share with law enforcement and that they can use it to derive some information. And it also asks, it opens questions about the veracity of DNA evidence and a bunch of other things like that, especially around like genealogical DNA evidence where it's like, we don't know that you did, but you have some genetic markers that match up with some other person who did it. Um, there was a recent case here in Burnaby, BC, uh, where a woman was killed in a park and the police found DNA evidence um, that, and the DNA evidence indicated that it was a, pe- a person of Middle Eastern descent. So they then went out to every single person in the entire area of Middle Eastern descent and asked for DNA samples and, and ended up with a suspect. Um, and they're fairly certain that this is the right suspect and all that stuff. But in the process of doing that, a bunch of the other people that were tested were refugees who were already um, 
in, first of all, had fled an area where they were being prosecuted. Then when they moved to another country, moved into an environment where there's a lot of um, animosity towards refugees. And then the police come knocking on their door and saying, hey, we need your DNA to check that you didn't kill someone. Um, <clears throat> so there's this problem of like, and then in that circumstance, could you then say, well, if, you know, someone in their family had submitted DNA, then we might have taken some of the harm away from all the people that were tested unnecessarily, blah, 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 blah. There's a murder case from Norway from the 80s that's still open where they DNA tested back in the 80s, like 5,000 people or something like that. And they still couldn't find the murderer because it was a heavy tourist destination. And they believed that whoever killed this person was a tourist. So they were saying that, you know, if we're going to do this, we'd have to like DNA sample the world. And I bet you that those people in Norway are saying that if we had access to these genetic databases, we might be able to find who did this. So this is super complicated. And there are going to be precedences set here in these stories. Um, and those precedences will shape the future we live in. So, yeah, it's not easy. No. Um, before I put it over to John, just that um, I think you could get some benefits, but it's so clear to me that, you know, you really need a kind of some real guidelines, international guidelines, really enforced on early stage. Because you can see where this, where this is going to go otherwise. And maybe even with those really strongly enforceable international regulations, you can still go pear-shaped quite rapidly. What do you reckon, John? Well, it's too late for me. The FBI already has my DNA. They've had it for a long time. (laughs) Um, But um, I I agree, you know, it's... I don't think anybody really objects to law enforcement, you know, solving a case, but... As Spencer and Morton both pointed out, it could, you know, result in dystopian uh, type of of um, uh, disc- discrimination. You know, um, I think anybody. That, I think it goes without saying. If you send your DNA to any of these things, Ancestry, Twenty Three and Me, it's going to get it's going to get sold to uh, the government and law enforcement and everyone else, whoever has money. I think that, I mean, should be apparent by now. Just to be clear, they're not selling it to law enforcement. Law enforcement is going, just here's a warrant. Right. Whatever the piece of paper, give me access. If you have a search warrant uh, to to say that, you know, rather than, oh, here, we'll just hand it all to you. Um, But uh, yeah, there is that. Well, who, who ensures that due process is actually? Nobody right now. The same conversation. What we had before, the same conversation about when, you know, as soon as they have the way to have you guilty until proven innocent, right? We talked about that with some of the technology stuff. As soon as the insurance companies, the law enforcement, whatever, I I am all in favor of, of, you know, logical police enforcement. But we see every day so many examples of how a bunch of 20-year-old men and women are all puffed up and get in the gear and then if they're given a tool that lets them round up a hundred people at a party and like everybody's DNA is coming on board, where are your coffee cups? I mean, it just immediately goes sliding down the hill. And once right. the precedent okay. is set. Morton brings up a really important point, which is that how, which is how much right do we have to give away what amounts to also being a bunch of other people's private information because that's coded in our. Well, but that's, that's the moral implication, right? Like if you do it begrudgingly, you've just, narked out one of your family members and maybe it was, you know, somebody you knew, maybe it wasn't, but like, where does the difference lie between family loyalty or common sense? And then once you give this, you can't take it back. Right. I mean, once you give them one ring up the ladder, my greater concern is that we're seeing so many examples and it's one of the following stories here of how the corporate culture is enveloped every aspect of our life. And the legislatures across the world are so in bed with these corporations in one way or another that they're just willing to sell huge swaths of people and their rights to the companies. Once the insurance industry gets it here in America, the whole talk about healthcare, my God, as soon as that thing tips over that they get everybody and it's a mandate that you must give some kind of DNA thing in order to be insured or whatever the new shtick is going to be, we're done for because yeah, that's it's not happen. that you did something. That's because your I know it's going to happen, but it's insane. Like that's because your insurance companies have way too much rain. Like, that that is not a that is not a this sets a precedent. That is a foregone conclusion. That is happening with or without your help. Once that, I agree. 
Once that happens, the only barrier between dystopia and something else is what is the legal repercussion of DNA in any corporate environment, in any legal environment, in any kind of like a political environment? Because right now, as it stands, it's guilty until proven innocent. If they've got you pegged with DNA, even if it's somehow wrong, you're done because the standard of proof on that is like 100% beyond any reasonable doubt. And there's no other way to go around it. I've heard of instances, Morton gave a lot, where they've done stakeouts now on guys who are suspects at a hockey game, waiting for him to drink a beer. Then they rush in the garbage can, grab the beer cup to get his DNA. No shit. They just yeah, got a guy in Boston on this. That, they've been doing that for decades. They've been doing that since they had I'm DNA. Just, I'm, I'm just That's saying, actually, but, there's, but it's, there's, okay, so, so that argument, I don't buy it because there are countless, countless cases in the United States of people who are sitting in death row or in life sentences where there is DNA evidence conclusively proving they did not do the crime they are committed. For, and they, they are, are still there. For, and because of some insanely broken system, they are prevented from having another trial. DNA evidence, by and large, is actually used to exonerate people incorrectly um, uh, put in jail for things they didn't do right now. The larger question that we have is, what moral responsibility does individuals have to supply their DNA to a just legal system, assuming that the legal system is just, to ensure that the right people are actually uh, punished for the crimes they commit? Because there is a certain point in time where we get to the point where we have, like, we have the technology to to irrefutably prove that some crimes were committed by some people. And the lack of evidence, for, for instance, DNA evidence, which is really hard to argue that was somehow falsified, the lack of that evidence <laughs> makes it hard to prove, right? So, so I, I know you're a lawyer no, and all that stuff, but yeah? It's not a legal thing. It's a practical thing. I want to give you a scenario here. Yeah. The point I'm making, once we move all of our thing onto DNA-based thing, even, again, there are lots of people who could be exonerated, and there's other reasons why the system's broken that they don't. But switch the tables around for a second, and imagine we have a scenario whereby the standard of proof is definitive. DNA puts you at the scene of the crime. Is it really hard to imagine that the same tactics that the cops used, Gestapo-like or otherwise, to wait around, get your you know, coffee cup or your, your thing, get a little swab of DNA, is it hard to imagine that you couldn't set somebody up by just grabbing their spit or grabbing their whatever fluids. And if you commit a crime, leave a little DNA, some other suspects around. You know, we have lots of instances where there have been sexual assaults where maybe there were multiple perpetrators and so forth. And now there's like, whose DNA is it and who's involved? But maybe there was an innocent boyfriend or girlfriend beforehand and they were before the crime and just kind of like the, the fugitive, all of a sudden the cops are going after the innocent person. And now the system is broken Gattaca style. No, because that already like, happens. You're in that, right, yes. That, you know? that exact scenario already happens. Like that is, that is already something that happens. And, and that's why we have a legal system that then says, that is one piece of evidence. You need more than one piece of evidence to commit. And that doesn't change, right? The, the purpose of this is to say, in where there is a lack of a suspect, this is a methodology for finding a possible suspect that we can then investigate further. Now, like I said, I am in thought experiment territory here and I'm talking about in the best possible scenario where you have a just legal system, which in the United States is completely not true, right? But you have to realize that the, these companies are weighing that kind of conversation, up against the conversation about should we just not allow this, right? And there's also a bunch of other really complicated implications here. Like, for instance, if there's a way to use this data to find a genetic marker that causes a specific type of disease, um, and that the only people who are willing to investigate that are companies that are evil, but they will actually produce a cure, right? That will cost an obnoxious amount of money. Do you then give that company that is evil the tools necessary to solve this very bad disease, even though you know that they will then charge an enormous amount of money for it and be super evil and earn a lot of money, but cure a disease in the process. Like the, the whole idea of genetic sampling of the populace for profit has opened up a very complex set of ethical problems. 
And those problems are currently being resolved by the companies themselves and by individual agencies that come into those companies. What we as the public need to figure out is how do we want this to work in the future? Because you can't put that rat into the bottle again. You need to figure uh, out how, I, how it moves forward, right? Uh, yeah, and, I agree. Yeah, we need we need to go for our break, folks, and we'll be back with another couple of great stories. We'll be back in a moment, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com just like the podcast we're coming back oh for for a story that you know, some people thought why i had it oh, i thought we had a reasonable discussion there uh um uh, one other thing folks i think any defense lawyer worth their salt will tell you this folks say nothing at the police station without your lawyer being there or say when nothing. you submit or when you submit your DNA sample, make up a fake name and a fake email address, and then people have your DNA but can't trace it to anyone. But fake. <laughs> <laughs> um, Blue Ocean notes on Joshua Strabel, uh, um, WCPHX keynote pre- presentation. And it's from the founder of Pagely, founder and CEO. Um, what did you think of this one, Sally? Well, I'm always interested to hear from Josh because... Oh, you gone, you gone, we can't hear you. You've gone. I think you've knocked your sound. On to Spencer. <laughs> Spencer, what, what did you think of this? Uh, it was a good talk. You know, he's like one of those foundational people. She can't hear that. She, we don't have her mic, I think. Uh, it, it was, I think it was topical and it was a good origin story. And uh, I didn't really take away anything from it that to me wasn't obvious, but I think it was definitely worth a, a watch if you've otherwise not heard him speak before. Because he's, you know, uh, WP Engine with Jason Cohen, Josh Strabel, there's a couple other people that gave their hand in starting stuff, Vladimir Prelovac. They were kind of foundational in the hosting space and otherwise. And I think there's a lot to be learned about how they had to do their pivot to more of an enterprise or corporate business because of the fact that it was just too crowded at the, you know, managed hosting for everybody kind of thing. Well, like you said, you know, it, from being either blue, it was turning red, wasn't it? That was the phrase he used. Um, I, I mean, that's the, the takeaway was that basically they had to make a risk to get out of the space because there was no way they could compete in managed hosting anymore because, as I keep talking about, it's like, it's a race to the bottom. I mean, at one point, it's just going to be an accessory bundle of stuff because there's no way to make money unless you're one of those companies that have a blue in their name or a gator in their name or have 10,000 people on a school bus. Exactly. What do you reckon, Moulton? Yeah. This, yeah. I mean, what he says makes perfect sense. This is standard business practice. You go, you either, uh, what is it? I think I mentioned this before. In the music industry, you have this principle. They say you are new, best, or different. Uh, and ideally, you are all of those. Uh, the weird thing is, once you are, if you are new, then competition will just follow in your footsteps, and people with more money will try to do better than you. Um, if you are best, then people will chase you because you are best, so you set the standard. And if you're different, then people will be like, "Oh, a new path, open up! I need to follow that." So no matter, like, if you're trying to forge new paths, people will always follow you. So this, and that's sort of a critique of the blue ocean strategy that if you every time you forge a new path you basically open a path for other people to follow 
Um, I think this are, this article and talk is um, very closely related to something that um, what's his name Jonathan Wold published yesterday. Uh, there's another article called Ecos- <laughs> "Ecosystem Plugins: The Next Big Opportunities in WordPress," um, and uh, he basically talks. So if you take Joshua's approach and say that you know look for the blue ocean then Jonathan has mapped out where the blue ocean is. So those two articles bookend perfectly. So I'll give you the link to it and then you can post that up as well. What did you it's funny you mentioned Jonathan called me last night about his article. Literally. Huh? At like midnight when he published it. Uh, not related to the story. He didn't know that the story was up. But what I, what I first asked him about his story, I said, who are you writing this article for? And he said, it's for basically people who are publishing things that would go into that, you know, we're, you know, the ecosystem, the e-commerce ecosystem. I'm like, is this for end users or is it for whatever? So it's funny that you read that one, Morton, because it was like a, a deja vu, but in a different way from the, the uh, Josh Strebel's <laughs> speech. This was very specifically to people who are building plugins for the WordPress ecosystem versus the hosting. Yeah, but it's like, it's addressing the same kind of issue. It's just saying, if if we accept this idea that you need to go for the blue waters or blue ocean in this segment, what would be the blue ocean? So, and the, the, just based on like scale and stuff, it's easier for people to get into the plugin environment than it is to go into hosting as a business model. Right. Well, I'm not too sure about that with Google cloud and Amazon web services. There you go. Uh, what, have you got your sound sorted out, Sally? Do you think? I don't know. Do I? Yeah, you have. You're back. It's, so what did I, you could, think? I couldn't see any indication there was a problem except all of you guys popping up in the chat saying, yo, we can't hear you. No. So can't what hear did you. you think? Can't hear you. Well, well, so what did you think of this article? Uh, as people have been saying that, you know, this is the, you know, the, the true history of Josh's experience in, in that, um, you know, finding a blue ocean and differentiating and, uh, yeah, I mean, you wonder because, of course, the physical planet is not infinite. Uh, and so, you know, people ran out of, of new territory to uh, to explore eventually. Uh, the market, theoretically, is infinite, but, you know, we have to sort of see what happens because, uh, but I think... Yeah, you sounds good again. It's back again. Oh, it's back again. Okay. So, uh, sorry about that. John, what do you reckon? No, there's a, there's a lot of great points that Josh made in this talk. Um, for, for one, I think <clears throat> that going up market is a good strategy right now because I think a lot of people uh, in the WordPress ecosystem are, uh, especially in client services and maybe at the, uh, the lower end of products, are struggling because... Um, they're not going up market. And I think that that is, um, I think that is a good path if you can make that happen. The other thing that he um, pointed out in, in this talk is that he believes that we're at peak WordPress. And I think that you have seen that a lot, something that he also pointed out, a lot of the power in WordPress is now being consolidated into the hosting companies. You've seen a lot of people uh, sell their plugins. A lot of them are, have been bought up by Awesome Motive or Sandhills or or some of the um, uh, other established plugin spaces out there. And a lot of people have ditched um, their their agency jobs and gone to work for hosting companies or or plugin companies. And I do think that there is a consolidation like happening, um, even as the uh, user base of WordPress grows. So I'm not sure what that indicates, but it does uh, show me that um, it's not necessarily the gold rush right now, but I do think that there is a lot of important lessons here. And I think looking for the next opportunities might, you know, be in the ecosystem plugins. It might be obviously in um, Gutenberg blocks. I think there's a lot of opportunity there, but you know, people who were in the old way, they've either adapted or they've um, retreated. And I, I think that that's happening right now. So. Yep. 
Right, I think that's great. I think in some ways it's linked to the next and probably the last article that we'll be discussing today. And that's from uh, Rand Fishkin. <laughs> and it's an unpopular list of marketing trends for 2019. And um, I think it's got some echoes of, of what we've been discussing um, in this episode and what we've been discussing in general for the past few months. What do you reckon about this one, John? Right. So uh, I agree uh, a lot with what Rand says here. I think there are a lot of buzzwords that people are throwing around um, to, to get funding or to, um, you know, drum up business. And I think a lot of it is more hype than it is reality. Uh, for example, blockchain, crypto, uh, AI. I mean, and I just did a video this morning, right before I came on this, uh, talking about a service that claims to be AI for SEO, but it's, I, it, it really looks like it's leveraging like offshore people at, at a, a cheap price. It's not actually AI. Um, well, it is, isn't it? It's, but it's organic AI. That'd be the next term, would it? Organic AI. Yeah. I mean, the in, in influencers and all this, you know, influencer marketing is hot right now. That's falling apart. Like these, you know, Instagram uh, people are, are, you know, found out to be fake. And um, as far as like their follower count and all this and their actual influence, um, you know, I, I think that a lot of, um, you know, people just chase for the next gold rush and, and they buy into this stuff without understanding what it is. It, it, Outside of the web, you see it right now with people chasing, uh, you know, cannabis and, and CBD and all this. All these people are investing in this because it's the hot thing. So, I, you know, I, I agree with Rand mostly on this. A lot of this stuff is hype and it's not going to amount to nothing. So, so what did you reckon? Because he also, um, I think he takes a tack at certain websites that are kind of ranking in Google and the actual um, user experience, we've discussed this, is awful. And he kind of right. and also attacks them for their headlines and the actual content, um, which basically says it's just dribble. I think he's about right about that as well, isn't he? Yeah, so he calls out CMO and Forbes and Entrepreneur. And I, I mean, and those are pay to play. I mean, those were outed like a long time ago as pay to play. And I think as a, a, a guy who's involved with SEO, you know, like what Google says, like these shouldn't, you know, if, if, if it's a, a paid link or a so-called paid link, it shouldn't count. But those are pay-to-play operations. So, Yeah. Well, what did you reckon, Spencer? What do you think of the article in general? You know, a side observation, I'm not personally uh, friends with Rand. I don't, never met him, but I've read him for a long time. It seems there's been, I mean, he he published and spoke about this, but like there's been a, a shift in Rand's attitude and his tone that I think is very comparable to what I feel as the grandfather other than you of this group, which is I have been around long enough to grow weary and exhausted with the next generation of up and comers acting like they were the first to discover, you know, like a long page sales letter or something. And what I take away from this is that there is a concentration of, of effort on the internet that right now, I'm not saying it's going to burst, but that right now makes me feel like a good majority of people of a certain age have just decided to leave the building and go do something like in a village talking one-to-one -one with our wagons and our, 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 our blacksmith or something and just unplug from this whole thing, whether it's politics or marketing or sales. And even in my own business practices, I've, I've referenced this so many times. Yes, there needs to be certain businesses that are on Facebook and have your groups and everything else. But ironically, I unplugged. And the more I unplug, the more business I get. And who is the business from? It's from other people who are like-minded who are like, I can't bear the thought of interacting there anymore. So I suspect there will always be a bifurcation, like, damn those kids with their rock and roll music and their guitars. But I do see that the trends of today, the people that were the early adopters, the early leaders like Rand, is maybe, hey, you know what? There's going to be another way to do stuff, and maybe it's only for us old fogies, but let those kids have their latest newfangled thing. All of it will make no difference anyway, because I think the technology will advance from the web browser keyboard era to something else anyway that obfuscates everything about what we're talking about. Once I can talk through my earpiece 
and have an, a true like interaction with one of my electronic devices, I don't think I'm going to need to open up my laptop or my whatever. I'm just going to talk to that thing. It will connect me to what I need to know. And then everything goes kind of back to the stone age of like, oh, I talk to real people in person, not looking at my phone. And I think I, I look forward to that day. And maybe that's what he's alluding to is it's just all part of this last hurrah before the next thing comes along. Yeah, I actually, uh, I, can, I, I think you might be onto something there. I think, yeah, um, sadly, you know, this, this, seemed, this article, when you really think, seemed to touch a lot of different areas and a lot of areas. The reason why I included it, sadly, it seemed to touch a lot of things that we've been discussing over the past six months. What did you think, Sally? Oh, well, I think it does. Although, of course, I, I need to say to, to, to Spencer, um, get off my lawn. And um, <laughs> <laughs> But Sorry. actually, the, 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 the thing that, that snagged me rereading it uh, just now is um, web-harming legislation like GDPR. And I'm not entirely sure why GDPR is web-harming legislation. Uh, I mean, you know, yes, we're all, you know, people find the, the response of all of the, the policy pop-ups annoying, um, but uh, um, I don't know that uh, attempting to protect people's privacy is necessarily damage to the web, um, uh, but uh, I, I, I wouldn't put uh, GDPR in quite the same category as, as the uh, uh, copyright uh, issues. Um, I do think the like cannibalization and the the answers and the yeah these things are are going on and and it says you know economically privileged groups are already shifting to a culture of of less <laughs> screen time and um you know the thing is that that hearing Spencer talk about yeah you know I'll just speak into my ear, ear earpiece and something will will appear is that and yet you know that kind of puts you into um, are you going to be interacting with the real world? Or are you going to be interacting with, um, <clears throat> you know, the matrix? Uh, and will you know? Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, I, I, I'm not um, that much of a dystopian. My Boston dynamic robot with the soft hand. Uh, right, right. Well, you know, um, uh, Real Doll is, uh, is experimenting with, um, with AI, apparently. Um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> <laughs> Here, I think I floored Morton. Um, but uh, so uh, I'm going to write that quote down. Actually, going to use that against you. I'll be, I'll be on the, on the, as soon as Boston Dynamics makes a dog that can go to Costco and it has a soft, flexible hand and a voice interaction. I'm never leaving the house. That's it. It's over. Oh, it's over, is it? Right. Um, right. Um, I just want to put this to you, Moulton. Where, one of the areas where I was most interested in this is yesterday I was, I was listening to a radio program where they were talking about diamonds and they were talking about the actual... Um, the market doesn't seem fantastic in diamonds, but there's more and more money going into the diamond market. And the reason why is that you can make diamonds now. You don't actually have to dig them out. You can actually make them. And De Beers, where do you, get, where do you aim the price? Because De Beers um, are selling man-made diamonds, but they, they, their marketing message is um, that it's, it's affordable luxury. And how do I link that to this article? Is that I think the bottom, I think the middle of the market for web services is going to be under a lot of pressure because I think the cheap side hosting other cheap things are going to be under a lot of pressure. But there's going to be a sub-market of the true expensive bespoke like Pagely provider. There's going to be a secondary market that uses technology to give an almost Pagely experience um, at a slightly lower price, you know, so the top of the market is going to be more customised, the service you offer. Am I totally talking dribble or making sense? Diamonds are bullshit unless you're cutting very hard stone. <laughs> There's no reason in the world that a man-made diamond should cost more or less than a diamond someone dug out of the ground. 
In fact, we should just stop taking diamonds out of the ground because they're easier to make and cheaper to make. And there is no discernible difference except ground-made diamonds are full of crap, whereas man-made diamonds can be designed to whatever the fuck you want. So sorry for the swearing guy who complains about the swearing all the time. Um, the, You're not uh, going to forget about that, are you? The, uh, no. <laughs> the dirty socialist. Yeah. The <laughs> Norwegian socialist. Okay, so... Uh, I think what you're talking about is uh, market maturation. Uh, that is definitely going to happen. I think we're going to get a lot more niche services and people are going to realize they can't just provide these broad, try to get everything to fit under one roof services anymore. <coughs> WordPress, <coughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the, this article just on its own very interesting because Rand, uh, no relation, uh, basically outlines uh, the dystopian future that I talk about all the time. (laughs) Uh, I mean, if you read this list of unpopular trends that will impact marketing, number one, the U.S. will experience a recession in the next few years. Not just the U.S. I believe there's some other place called the United something else that's going to undergo a recession (laughs) in about, I don't know, three hours or something like that. Number two, Western governments are uh, a combination of unwilling or unable to take intelligent action on to protect their citizens from the undue influence of big business and monopolies. Oh, seriously? Uh, Shocking news. I believe Karl Marx wrote about this. In the, <laughs> like the, it's, it's funny to see that people who are working in like the evil marketing industry are finally catching up with like the idealism of socialism and understanding that there's a reason why labor rights matter and that corporations shouldn't control everything. Um, there aren't enough new net, uh, net new internet users for internet giants to continue posting revenue numbers. This is why Apple, for instance, have suddenly stopped focusing on hardware and instead is selling cable TV as a service. Um, uh, voice answers have the potential to disrupt. Because that's going so well for the cable TV people, right? <sighs> oh, yeah, but now it's Apple, you see, so it's completely different, except... <sighs> Not. And then um, voice answers, yes, voice answers is a thing. And then there's an emerging broad societal belief that overuse of social networks and heavy web content consumption do more harm than good. Exactly, there is. It's not just a consensus. It's like research-based consensus that there is, in fact, l- real danger in overusing social media. You should all stop. He starts by painting this picture of like, basically everything we're doing is wrong. Everything is harmful. And this is a terrible thing. And all of that is true. And then he goes on to the five things he doesn't deserve, think he doesn't deserve to be uh, in the web marketing trend. And I'm like, I think what you're missing here is the whole point about the direction we're currently headed as a society is a destructive direction that will lead to bad things. Just everything we're doing is pointing towards bad things. We have a uh, democracy, democracy as a concept is collapsing because of the internet. Um, Communication is collapsing because of the internet. We are creating, um, we're balkanizing our entire society because of how the internet is formed. And all of this is happening because of how we're monetizing the internet. And much of that monetization is because of how we are marketing content on the internet. So if you're going to critique what is happening in society and what is happening on the internet, you need to be willing to eat the cake you baked yourself and say that a lot of this has to do with how we market products on the internet and how marketing has become such an integral part of modern society that we're not even able to see that marketing is to blame for a lot of these things. Because the end goal of all the things he's talking about is just how do we make money out of any human interaction regardless of its consequences. The, pro- the, problem the problem is it's not the, the internet. The problem is people. No, the problem is the internet. The problem is that we, as people, have... Well, uh, the internet uh, gives us the ability to, to do things in a way that we couldn't do before. Yeah, uh, and the internet is a tool that is an information distribution system without any limits to how things are done, right? If the internet was built in a, or rather the web was built in a more responsible way, for instance, it wouldn't allow for single companies to hoard all information, right? So that's what Tim Berners-Lee is working on now is decentralizing the web and making that an integrated part of the web platform. 
Because Tim Berners-Lee came at the web from the perspective of open science, right? While in reality, the web is governed by closed business. So the, the, the error that was built into the platform from the start was that centralizing information is a good thing. It is not a good thing. It should never have happened. But we couldn't see that 20 years ago. So now we have to go back and fix it so that information is not centralized, but it is distributed. And so that companies cannot profit from holding other people's information and then reselling it. See earlier conversation about DNA, et cetera, right? So there, there's a, an inherent flaw in the way that we interact with each other through the web right now that's tied to this idea that any interaction should be something other people earn money from. And then any interaction should be Which is be completely a tool. contrary to the web when I discovered it. Yes, exactly. Because the web wasn't built that way, but it, there was a huge open door for it to become that, right? There was no uh, system put in place to prevent that from happening. And then marketers saw that opportunity. They said, hey, you're holding all this information about people. We can use that to target them for marketing. And that's when everything fell apart. There we go. Did I mention well, that's marketing? where the if, if the needle swings as far as we're talking about with regard to how bad it's broken, maybe that's the catalyst in a sort of chaos theory world that causes things to be improved because somebody who's an outlier, maybe it's Tim Berners-Lee, says the way things are going isn't right. Some other way has to be built. And those people who are feeling the same would follow that. I mean, no, but that's, that's the not- way I see it. You have so crazy to one side that, I mean, you can't undo what's been broken, but what you can do is say it's so far to one side that we're going to shift and go to a different system. And maybe the technology we just discussed is part of it. Because if I no longer need to use a browser or a web browser, but I'm instead of using one of the other technologies, maybe the alternative web is something that allows those who care to be in a, a, a marketing-free zone, decentralized data and so forth, to do so. But now the information is no longer controlled by the old broken system. But that all of those technologies are controlled by those companies. Like if you're talking about voice search or any kind of voice interaction, that's all powered by um, AI that's, or machine learning that's housed by one of these big companies. And every piece of information you put in there is used for marketing purposes. If you talk about uh, AI in general, it's trained by the same things for the same purpose to make money. Any kind of virtual reality system, like all the things that we're talking about, all the technology advancements that are happening right now are happening based on how do these companies make a profit now that the market, sh- like the available market is shrinking because more and more people have already been connected. Right. So, and the outcome of all this, like the, the, the pivot point for this isn't that we suddenly realize, hey, the web is broken, we need to decentralize. The pivot point is um, the political systems collapse and we end up in an authoritarian regime where people say, everything is shit, I'm going to fix it. See Donald Trump. Right. So, like, this is stuff that's like the, the, the end of this trajectory is 100% negative unless some sort of fundamental change happens at a political level that then does something to how we interact with these for-profit services so they no longer profit from deliberately destabilizing democratic processes purely for the sake of selling ads. Because that's what's happening now. Like the the whole Brexit thing, Donald Trump, all these other things were powered by ad sales that had nothing to do with politics. It was just a way of selling ads. Uh, The reason why Cambridge Analytica existed in the first place was precisely that, to exploit this stuff for marketing purposes. The reason why we're seeing a destabilization of democracies, the reason why we're seeing, seeing a dramatic rise in white nationalism and all sorts of other extremism is because of the way that these companies make money just by profiling people and selling them ads, regardless of what type of content that entails, right? And unless governments are willing to go in and say, there are certain things you just cannot earn money from. You cannot sell ads in this circumstance, or you cannot profile people based on random information you collect about them. We will continue down that trajectory and it will end up destabilizing democracies and end up plunging us into... uh, the whole cycle that Aristotle outlined, right? So you'll have uh, first an anarchy, then you'll have an oligarchy, then you have a, an aristocracy, and then eventually you'll have some sort of revolutionary uprising. You'll have some sort of semblance of a democracy. That takes about 250 years. By that time, society will be collapsing completely, and this will likely happen within the lifetime of my son. So yeah, this is not great. And our 
and when you say like, maybe there will be some pivot point, the reality is 90% of the internet using public are not just not aware of these conversations. They are so locked into these interactions that telling them, for instance, that they shouldn't use Facebook for a week is tantamount to saying you cannot drink water for a week. It's so built into their interactions with the real world that taking the service away, the service that harms them, is so harmful to their social interactions that they won't be able to function. It's like you have to go on a detox. Not, sorry, not a detox. Like you have to go to a center where you're literally severed from the web. And then when you come back, the web has to stop existing for you for a while or these services need to stop existing for you. This is a core problem of society. And it's, it's us in the internet elites that have these conversations. Our job is then to take our elitist position and help the people that don't have the privilege of knowing this actually understand how to deal with it. And that starts with dismantling these companies, taking the marketing conversation out of this conversation. So, yeah. Well, there we go. (laughs) We're all all finished. Finished. Doomed. Welcome to my TED Talk. (laughs) Doomed. We're all doomed. It's like... um, Dad's Army. If you if you go to YouTube and look at an episode of um, Dad's Army, folks, if you're American, there's a character that always says, "We're doomed, doomed." Um, on onto the, let's wrap this up. Onto our um, picks of the week, and I've got image opt-in, and basically it's Mac only, really, but it's an app, app you can download for free, and then you got any images that you want to compress. Um, on your desktop, you just drag them in and it does a super job of compressing them and removing all the trackable stuff that um, is embedded in most images. It removes, that's partly why it gets such good compression rates. And it works really well and I use it on a weekly, daily basis. Um, and, and it's free. Um, Spencer, <laughs> have you got anything you would like to recommend to listeners and viewers? Uh, yeah, free plugin in the repository called WeDocs, W-E-D-O-C-S. It basically is a, a kind of all-in-one plugin that essentially creates a custom post type so you can put your particular business's documentation area in as part of your website. But it's kind of agnostic to your theme, agnostic to your page builder. And also, the reason that we used this was we used Help Scout before we moved to Front. Help Scout has a really nice feature about being able to build your own docs area, but if you ever want to leave it, it's like, ugh. So rather than trying to start from scratch and using one of the page builders or worrying about the theme, this plugin really was a nice way to just immediately get the organizational kind of management system of a a documentation, but it also protects it in a stylistic way so that even though you can overcome it, you don't have to be at square one with CSS and everything else. So if you want to like get off of a platform for your own company's doc stuff, it's a clever way to do it and it's free. Oh, that sounds great. Um, Moulton, have you got anything you'd like to share with the listeners and viewers? Yes, uh, I'm just trying to find this link for it. So if you're of the block building persuasion and you think that Webpack and Babel configurations suck ass because they do, uh, I have news for you. The Gutenberg team has released the WP scripts or updated the WP scripts uh, package to include a default Webpack and Babel configuration. Meaning, instead of writing some insane configuration yourself with a bunch of dependency packages and everything, you just use, you just include at WordPress slash scripts, which has the default package. You can then extend it with whatever other Webpack configuration you want yourself. Dramatically simplifies block building, and it's much better than trying to do something custom. It also makes block building way easier, and you don't need any of those fancy overbuilt tools that currently exist. So, oh, that's great. Can you put the link into our yeah. Slack? Can yeah, you? I'm trying to find it. Um, John, can you have you got anything you'd like to recommend to listeners? Yes, I actually do, and it ties into uh, what Morton was talking about. If you are fed up with Facebook, if you are fed up with Instagram being 40% ads, then you can sign up for this thing. It's boca.pix. That's B-O-K-E-H dot P-I-C-S. And this is coming from our friend, Tim Smith, who was interviewed in WP Tonic, episode 210. And he is building uh, a 
um, alternative to where you can share pictures and it's $3 a month or $30 a year, no ads ever, chronological timeline, private by default. Now, this is a landing page for his signup, but I know that he is kickstarting this uh, very soon and, and he is following through with this. So if you want an alternative to Instagram or, or Facebook where you can share pictures privately, go to, to boca.pix, B-O-K-E-H dot pix. Oh, thanks, much, John. Um, Sally, got anything you'd like to share with the listeners? Uh, uh, yes. Um, uh, my tip for this week actually comes from a, a recent uh, episode of 99% Invisible, and it is the public library. Uh, I was uh, uh, in Sacramento a couple of days ago. My husband had to, to be up there for something political, and I decided, uh, having just listened to this a nice episode reminding me how awesome libraries are. And, and I have about like 10 library cards. I, I'm into libraries. Uh, that Instead of looking for a co-working space, I would go to the library. And they have a, they have a very nice uh, central library in uh, Sacramento. Uh, and uh, you too can find uh, many useful things in your public library, uh, in, including uh, a free space to work with the Wi-Fi. Sounds good to me. Well, thanks, panel. It's been a great show. We're going to wrap it up now, folks. Um, Spencer, how can people find out more about you and your services and what you're thinking? Right. Anybody who needs help with their uh, WordPress-based membership site with marketing automation, you can find us at WPLaunchify.com or on YouTube at WPLaunchify. Uh, Morton, what's the best way for people to find out more about you and what your thoughts and what you're up to lately? You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Morton Rand Hendrickson. You can find me on Twitter where I'm at Morton because that's my name. And you can check out my courses on LinkedIn Learning. Also, Modest Matt will have some new single out today. What? Sorry? <laughs> but I always give music recommendations. Modest oh, right, Mouse, right. the band, it. has yeah. a new single out today. All right, that's I, I understood what you meant, Morton. <laughs> Thank All you. Right. Sorry, I had a long trip yesterday. Uh, um, uh, John, John, um, um, what's the best way of getting hold of you and finding out more what you're up to? You can find me either at my website, which is lockdownseo.com, or you can uh, go to my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, Google hashtag lockdownseo. You will find me. And Sally, how can people find out more about your great thoughts, views, and what you're up to? Uh, you're most likely, I think, to find me on Twitter. I'm at Sally Getch, um, but my business website is wpfangirl.com, and the East Bay WordPress meetup is eastbaywp.com. Oh, that's great. Thanks, listeners and viewers, joining us. Join us next week at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time for another great show. And I think this one's been really fascinating. We discussed a great lot of interesting topics. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.